Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Finally went to go see Killers of the Flower Moon. Very, very good. Definitely would recommend to everyone. Um, finally, like a good movie that hits theaters. Everything like we know is getting pushed back or shelved for X amount of period of time. But Killers of the Flower Moon, Scorsese, very, very, very good. Um, great performances all around the writing was obviously impeccable um we'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the podcast we'll do that at the end of the podcast um nfl week nine daniel jones is dead and not actually but and the world series uh is for the first time ever belongs to the texas rangers so very 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 happy for the Texas Rangers. Um, I picked them to win in five games. They won, or I picked them to win in six games. They won in five. So they, I mean, they flat out dominated the the Diamondbacks. Pretty, sh- I'm not really that shocked that it went five games. But uh, regardless, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the World Series. It did happen last week. So I hate to say it's a bit of old news, but we definitely have to talk about it. It's the, the World Series and... um. Very important. So honestly, let's start off with that and then we'll get into week nine. Um, and then Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, so the World Series, Texas Rangers win the World Series four to one over the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was a uh crazy competitive game five. Zach Gallon was dealing, Nathan Avaldi was dealing. It was one nothing heading into the the eighth inning, I think. And then the Rangers ended up putting a couple runs on the board in the eighth. Um, Alec Thomas had a ball go through under his glove all the way to the wall. I think that was uh, Jung, Josh Jung, who hit that. Um, Or no, it was Heim, Jonah Heim. Uh, And he ended up with a triple. Semyon then goes on to hit a two-run homer. Now it's five nothing. Might as well been might as well have been twenty to nothing at that point. Um, the Texas Rangers bullpen, they were sensational. Um, eleven and zero on the road for the Texas Rangers, a truly sensational feat, a, a unprecedented feat. The Rangers eleven and zero on the road, a uh, truly historical performance from them uh unprecedented and a great series for them uh i think that Corey seager being the mvp now he is the world series mvp for the second time um only the second position player ever to win two world series mvps mr october reggie jackson did it with the oakland a's and the yankees i think it was 73 and 77 and then the other two players to win there's only four players in total to win the world series mvp two times uh two position players seager now being one of them and reggie jackson the other two were uh sandy koufax for the dodgers in the 60s and bob gibson for the cardinals in the 60s so uh a a very very short list of players to have ever won the world series mvp two times which now automatically, I think, puts Corey Seager on the fast track to the Hall of Fame. I mean, given his career statistics and how he's viewed, and now, you know, he won 
in in 2020 with the Dodgers, you could say whatever you want about that World Series, but uh, I, I don't I don't take anything away from them. Just like the same way I don't take anything away from the Lakers. But he wins the Finals MVP for a stacked Dodgers team, uh, and then in 2022, uh, or 2023, I should say, geez, um, comes into Texas. Tough first year in his first year in Texas. Like the team definitely underperformed. Bruce Bochy comes in. He delivers the Texas Rangers their first championship. Uh, the best player in the playoffs, Adolis Garcia. If he didn't get hurt, um, I mean, Seeger had a great World Series, but Adolis Garcia is a huge reason why they made it. They even made it to the World Series because of his series against the, 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 the appearances that he had against the. The Astros, he was just sensational. He tweaked, I think it was an oblique injury. He tweaked something in game four, was not able to play in game five. Didn't matter, obviously. Uh, but Adolis Garcia was unbelievable. Nathan Ovaldi, I think, has cemented himself as one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. Uh, his his postseason stats are incredible. And, you know, he did it with the Red Sox. He did it. Now with the Rangers, he has just been an absolute beast in the playoffs. Um, very reliable. He turns he turns it up to another level. Just one of those guys that taps into something on another level. Uh, really, really, really great stuff from uh, Nathan Avaldi. Just incredible, and he is a huge reason why. I mean, five and zero. Oh, which I think ties a record for most wins in a postseason run was five and zero sub three ERA. He had really only one bad start, and that was Game One of the World Series. That was really his. It wasn't. I wouldn't even consider it bad, um, but it definitely was not as dominant as he had been. So that was probably the only one where you're like, oh, he got touched up a little. I think he gave up four earned runs, so he got touched up a little bit in Game One, but. The Rangers ended up winning that game, so it wasn't that bad. Uh, it took some late-inning heroics by Seager, of course, and then Adolis Garcia in the, in the extra innings, but he was unbelievable. Him and Zach Gallen were just... Zach Gallen, I think, had a no-hitter going into the sixth inning, and then Seager broke it up with a, a dribbler the other way into left field. They had like a little bit of a shift on him. Um, and then after that, the Rangers were able to scrape together a couple hits, drive in a run, and that run would have been would have been it. They could have won one nothing, but they tacked on obviously four more runs after that, so they ended up winning five to nothing. But it was an incredible effort, top to bottom. This lineup performed. The pitching staff, Montgomery, Evaldi, uh, even Scherzer for you know the the tail end of this postseason run came in and delivered some valuable innings in a couple of his starts. Uh, his first start against the Astros, he got roughed up. But after that, valuable, valuable, valuable innings that he put up. Um, didn't go. I don't think he went more than four innings in any of his starts. Um, so he, you know, he did what he could, which is all you can really ask. And he did it. He did it well. Um, so shout out to him. Jacob deGrom, I guess, gets a ring, even though he it's pretty funny. It's like almost like Ronald Acuna-esque where it's like, DeGrom's your best pitcher and Acuna is your best player. Like for the Braves, when they won their world series, they all, they, a huge part of their world series run was like Jorge Soler and Eddie Rosario. And those guys, they picked up at the trade deadline that they only got 
because Acuna got hurt. And then they ended up winning the World Series without him because uh, he was injured for half the season. Same thing with DeGrom. Injured for basically the entire season. Um, I, I Yeah, he, he didn't play even, I think, half the season. So he he was injured for a lot uh, basically the entire season. Tommy John surgery, and he gets a, a ring. So it, it's pretty funny how that works. Max Scherzer gets another ring. Um, but yeah, I mean, Bruce Bochy, he joins a short list of managers to have won four plus world series. Uh, he joins Casey Stengel who has seven Joe McCarthy, who has seven Connie Mack has five Walter Alston has four and Joe Torrey has four Bruce Bochy now also has four. And you got to think of it like Joe Torrey is my guy, right? Joe Torrey was my manager growing up. He was the manager of the Yankees dynasty all the way up until I think 2007 was his last year as Yankees manager. Um, so he was like there for 10 years, more more than 10 years, 13 years, something like that. Uh, but he was like my guy growing up. I love Joe Torrey and he's still very active in, in baseball in the league. He's a high up executive in the MLB front office. So he has a lot of power now, but <laughs> uh, he was he was my my favorite he was my manager, right? He was my manager of my favorite team. So when you look at his run, it's like 96, 98, 99, 2000. His four World Series came in a five-year span. And you look at Bruce Bochy, 2010, then 2012, 2014, and then 2023. He retired in 2019, gets a call from Chris Young, who I didn't even realize that Chris Young is the, the GM of the Rangers that Chris Young's the, he's like six foot 11 Padres pitcher. Like <laughs> I didn't realize it was the same Chris Young. I don't know why, but um, gives a ring to Bochy, asks him, Hey, you want to come and, and manage this team? Bruce Bochy gets off his recliner and wins a world series in his first year as the Texas Rangers manager, like truly sensational. The giants had never won a world series until Bruce Bochy was there. Um, he had a, cold quote he was like i didn't come off my couch just to lose that's that's crazy that is such a a dope quote from bruce bochi he's the man he is just the guy just knows how to play baseball um and how to win at this game and it's refreshing to know like i hope teams kind of take note that bruce bochi is a guy that knows how to play, knows baseball, knows how to manage, and knows how to win. And he was able to call the shots. He was able to manage his way with the bullpen, with the lineups, with whatever. Like, he was able to dictate who was playing, who pitched, what, what, however managerial decisions he had to make throughout the game were up to him and him alone. That is something that I hope people are able to understand is like super important i'm talking directly to like the yankees front office obviously uh but everyone else too it's like sure you can use analytics to help maybe decide a decision or or give you some insight over like matchups and stuff like that and whatnot but for the most part let your managers manage like if you're hiring a manager to just be like a talking stick or a hand puppet to whatever analytics team or or moves like people that you have actually calling the shots. There's no point in doing that. Like it's important to hire a manager that knows how to manage shockingly. Right. Can you believe it? Um, it, Bruce Bochy does just that. Like the guy just knows how to manage a basketball, how to manage a baseball team. 
and he's really good at it. The players love him. He knows how to make the right decisions. It's not just like a spreadsheet, you know, it, it, it's, it is, there's a human element to making these decisions. So uh, Bruce Bochy, one of the best ever, Corey Seager, probably on the fast track to the Hall of Fame, um, barring like a crazy collapse of his career where it's like he, I don't even want to say it, um, put that into the universe. I'm not doing that, but uh, yeah, I mean, even Nathan Evaldi, again, like what, well, I don't know. Nathan Evaldi kind of reminds me of Andy Pettit, where it's like his career stats might not get him there but he is going to be considered one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. Andy Pettit is the greatest postseason pitcher of all time, in my opinion. Um, so, but he's not even, I don't think he's even sniffing the hall of fame. So I got a lot of problems with the MLB hall of fame, but we'll, we'll talk about that. And uh, probably when the, the ballots happen again, we'll talk about it, uh, which I think might be in a few months. They'll announce the next ballot. Uh, but regardless Congratulations once again to the Texas Rangers, the 2023, for the first time ever, the the World Series champions, 2023 Texas Rangers. Um, a sensational run. They certainly had their ups and downs throughout the entire year, but in the end, uh, they lost. The story that they kind of ran with, too, is that the last day of the season, they were on the road in Seattle, and they were... They could have won the division, I think, if they just won that game and they lost. So they didn't win the division. It went to the Astros uh, and the Texas Rangers never lost again, uh, a road game again. Pretty, pretty insane. Pretty insane stat. So congratulations to them. Uh, let's get into NFL week nine. I despise, there were a couple of good games, but like, if you just look at this slate, it was despicable. I, I, the matchups just from a gambling perspective too, I was like, I don't even know what to bet on. Um, I ended up going two for three. Uh, if you, if you include Sunday night football, Joe Burrow rushing yards, didn't get there. My Sunday night football parlay was like Bengals money line, Burrow receive, uh, Burrow passing yards. And I took Burrow rushing yards. I thought he'd be scrambling a little bit more, and he wasn't. I should have taken T. Higgins receptions like I wanted to, because that's smashed. But it was uh, and a great win for the Bengals. But overall, I mean, this slate was pretty gross. Chargers, Jets on tonight, Monday night. I'm going with the Jets. I think... If the I think this could be the game that Brandon Staley finally gets fired. <laughs> I'm such a hater. I'm such a hater. I love it. Uh, I think this is the game that can get Brandon Staley fired. The Jets defense is really good, and the Chargers defense is not. But also, this can go one of two ways. Like if Khalil Mack and Boza are are on there, I'm assuming they're playing. Um, yeah, they are playing. Uh, I just want to make sure. Uh, so Boza and Mack, like. If they're on their A game, it could be a problem for the Jets. I think Brees Hall is going to have a good game. I think Zach Wilson could do just enough to win this game, send the Chargers to three and five and to the shadow realm and, and send Brandon Staley to the shadow realm. So that's my prediction. I think I took I took the Jets money line, Brees Hall over receiving yards. I think it was 21 and a half and Austin Eckler under rushing yards. 
because I'm a hater. So <laughs> I'm just a hater. Uh, but yeah, let's well, jet up, jet up, baby. That's my Monday night pick. Um, the Sunday morning game in Germany, Chiefs, Dolphins. This was a good one. The Dolphins defense actually held up really well, but the game deciding play was a strip uh, fumble of of Tyreek Hill with the, the, the Dolphins were running a two-minute drill. It was less than a minute. They were driving down the field, trying to kick a field goal before half. And there's a screen to Tyreek Hill. He is stripped by McDuffie. And Edwards ends up picking it up, gets wrapped up and laterals it backwards to Cook, who then takes it 50, what a 50, what a 59 yards, 59 yards down the sideline for a touchdown with about 30 seconds left in the half. It was an absolutely devastating touchdown for the Miami Dolphins. Um, And then again, at the end of the game, the Dolphins are driving down the field. They need a touchdown to tie. It's 21-14. It's fourth down, and the ball just goes right through to his hands. He doesn't even get a playoff. He just falls on the ball. Chiefs touch him down. They get the ball back, game over. So a very anticlimactic. When the Dolphins are driving down the field, a very anticlimactic ending to this game where the Dolphins don't even get a playoff um, to try and tie it. But... The Chiefs defense showing once again, like they are the real deal. But I got to give credit to Miami's defense. I mean, the the difference in this game, they shut out the Chiefs in the second half. Shut out the Chiefs in the second half. The difference in this game is that end of the first half, Tyreek strip uh, return lateral fumble that for a touchdown. That is the difference in this game because... Uh, the Chiefs shut out Miami in the first half, and then in the second half, Miami shut out the Chiefs, and they were able to score 14 points. No one scored in the fourth quarter. Um, so it was a tough loss for Miami. Obviously, now the critics are even louder, and McDaniel understands. He's like, hey, if we want to change the narrative, we got to win. And the narrative being that Miami can't beat good teams. The last time, the last time they beat a team over 500 was I think week they said week three of last year it was the Buffalo Bills. That was the last time the Dolphins beat a team over 500. Uh so they dominate lesser opponents, which is a sign of what good teams do. They they beat bad teams. But they struggle against teams that are in the same tier of talent as them. Uh and that's something obviously that they got to work on. I don't think it's anything that like the players are aware i don't think it's something that like the players think of or that mcdaniel thinks of it's not really like it's a it's a tough stat but it's not like an embarrassing stat or anything like that they just they got to figure it out obviously they have to be able to perform up to the expectations that they have if they want any chance of making it to a super bowl letting let alone win one um, they are six and three, so they're still in a great spot. Uh, the Chiefs are seven and two, and it was it was a good game. Like they held Mahomes to less than two hundred passing yards. Uh, the offense for the Chiefs was again based; it was non-existent in the first half. Whereas, I mean, in the second half, whereas their offense for the Dolphins was non-existent in the first half. Just a tale of two halves, and in the end, 
Uh, the Chiefs, they don't even need to get a stop on fourth down there. It, it is a ball that is snapped. It's a fine snap, and it goes right through to his hand. So that's just like a crucial mistake that he can't make. Who's to say if they get that touchdown or not to tie it? But at the very least, like you'd want to at least get a playoff. You know, you don't want to end. Why would you want it to end on a mistake like that? Um, so it was tough for Miami, a tough L for them, but they're obviously still a great team and very talented. This chief's defense is something different though. Like you look at the chief's offense and I think now more than, more than ever, it's kind of showing that they don't really have that dynamic receiver outside of Kelsey. Um, and if you just try and the dolphins did it, I mean, uh, the, the Broncos did it and the dolphins did it two weeks in a row where Kelsey really didn't do anything just three catches for 14 yards against Miami he had six catches for 58 yards against Denver so both defenses in back-to-back weeks here uh with the Broncos and the Dolphins able to kind of slow down shut down Kelsey and make Mahomes work to other ways um now one resulted in a win and one was a loss mostly you could pin the loss on the Broncos to all the turnovers but with the the Dolphins they were able to still uh, get help from their defense and and grind it out for this W. But Kelsey, they, they don't have that dynamic play playmaker to help Kelsey. Like no one, if you're forcing Mahomes to rely on Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, Rashi Rice, and Marquez Valdez Scantling, and now they just added back um, Nicole Hardman, he could get it done. It's just going to be a lot more difficult. Uh, so when you take away Kelsey like that, it definitely makes it more winnable um to more or more i should say slightly easier to beat the chiefs it's still not an easy task but it's definitely slightly easier uh but this defense if anything like this is a top 5 defense in the NFL and they won this game for uh for Kansas City uh all right we'll go down the list here Seahawks Ravens boy was i wrong about this game um i took the Seahawks at plus 6 and a half here I thought they were going to at least play competitively against the Ravens and and cover this game. They they got they got wrecked. I mean, Geno Smith could not do anything. This Ravens defense was unstoppable. They they were on another level and this is another dominant win against a good NFC team for Lamar Jackson. He again, he I think he's now 17 and 1 or 18 and 1 against NFC teams, the only one loss being last year to the Giants. Uh so he I mean you go they dominate the Lions, they kind of coast against the Cardinals even though they don't cover there 31-24, not a close game. Um so they they cruise dominate the, a good Lions team, cruise against the Cardinals and then dominate uh a good Seahawks team. Like the Seahawks aren't bad. They're not that bad. They're not 37 to, to three. You know, they don't, I mean, the Lions, look what they did to the Lions, 38 to six. Like the Lions aren't a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. And the Ravens just made them look silly. Um, so the Ravens now are seven and two and they are a real deal threat, man. And I, I've said it before on this podcast, but like, they just win football games. Ever since Lamar Jackson has been the starting quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, when he's healthy, uh, they win football games. Now, there was a scary moment in this game where he did kind of come up limping after, uh, I think it was like a fourth and one or a third and one or something like that, and he just kind of kept it himself. 
and uh, got rolled up on from behind. He was tackled from behind and his ankle kind of went straight. And as they, they uh, the defender fell on him, it kind of got almost like hyperextended in a way. Like it was just in a bad angle. Um, not rolled, not really rolled, but I guess, I guess rolled up on if you can consider it being rolled up on, but he did come up limping a little bit. Uh, he, uh, I mean, he finished the game up until they threw the backups out there because it was such a blowout, but, uh, he didn't have, he didn't have to leave the game prematurely is the point. So he should be fine. Uh, it was definitely a scary injury though, obviously, because he's had injuries like that before and you don't want him to get an ankle injury with his mobility and how that can affect his game, but he's been balling out. The Ravens have been really, really good despite all the injuries that plagued them in the beginning of the year. Um, despite, you know, the drops and the bad and the, and the kind of mediocre receiver play at times, they continue to win football games in convincing fashion. They are seven and two and very, very, very good. And that defense is very, very, very good. Um, Browns Cardinals, not much to say about this game. Uh, Browns win 27 to nothing. You had, uh, Clayton Toon, the rookie playing for Arizona a week after, or not even a week after they traded their starter, Josh Dobbs. This kind of basically all but cements the fact that Kyler Murray will be playing next week. Um, he was activated. He was a full participant in participant in practice. They were like, Hey, Josh Dobbs. He has some market value, so they traded him to the Vikings, and we'll when we'll talk more about Josh Dobbs when we get to that game because he was sensational for the Vikings this week. Uh, but they trade him to the Vikings, who lose Kirk Cousins and are kind of in like a position to make a NFC playoff spot. So they they trade for him. Uh, Clayton Toon, come, Toon comes in, and you know throwing that kid in there first start of his career against a good Browns defense. There, this was basically what you expected to happen. If I was a smart person, I would have just bet the Browns to cover. Um, but they win 27 to nothing. Dominant showing. I'm not really going to praise the Browns, like Deshaun Watson, too much just because it was like, what do you, what do you expect? This is, this is exactly what you were supposed to do. Um, but credit to them. They did it. Texans, Buccaneers, this was probably the most, this was, not probably, this was definitely the most exciting game of the one o'clock window. The Texans win 39 to 37. CJ Stroud breaks a rookie record, Andrew Luck's rookie record for passing yards in a game with 470 passing yards and ties the rookie record with five passing touchdowns. He is and was this week absolutely sensational he's unbelievable the kid is catapulting himself to superstardom he has the texans at four and four they are way ahead of schedule uh he just looks so comfortable and so decisive and this comes like he they were without their kicker fairbairn got hurt um they get <laughs> daria Agum uh, Wale to kick to do the kickoffs. And then they even have him make a 20. He, he made a 29 yard field goal to put the Texans up 33 to three, uh, 33 to 30 with about nine minutes left, a little less than nine minutes left in this game, which was such a sensation. It was an awesome kick end over end right through the uprights. It was perfect. So everyone was pretty hyped about that. But then you have the Bucks 
drive down the field and credit to Baker Mayfield. And this is obviously this loss is not on him. He drives the Bucks down the field and throws a touchdown pass to Kate Otten with 47 seconds left in the game to take a 33, 37 to 33 lead. Now, you look back throughout the game, the Texans went for two multiple times because they didn't want to make Ogumbawale kick the extra points because they just weren't sure what's going to happen, you know? So they kept going for two and had Ogumbawale kick the extra points, this they would have only they would have been able to kick a field goal. But because they went for two and they didn't get a couple of them, and then they were up three, and then the Bucs scored a touchdown. Uh now the Bucs are up four. So you need a touchdown. 47 seconds left. CJ Stroud drives down the field. And the best throw that he had was to Tank Dell when they had no timeouts. It was a deep pass to Tank Dell for 26 yards on the left sideline. Throws a perfect dot in between the defenders. Dell makes the catch, drags his feet perfectly. A huge gain for them. And he's out of bounds. Um, Noah Brown had an unbelievable game. As well, uh, he had a a bunch of huge, like multiple 10-plus yard catches uh, in this game that helped them also in this final drive, drive down the field. He had a 14-yard catch that helped them drive down the field. But they have, they were, this drive was surgical. And then an absolute dart to the back of a 15-yard touchdown pass to Tank Dell in the back of the end zone. And Tank Dell has been spectacular. CJ Stroud looked incredible. Six seconds left. Winning the game on a touchdown pass uh, by Stroud, his fifth of the game, just like it was, it was incredible. It was just an incredible performance by CJ Stroud. You can't ask for more from the kid. He is just everything you wanted in a quarterback. The, the defense obviously kind of getting broken down there at the end of the game, and and Baker Mayfield driving down the field to put them in a position to tie and then scoring a touchdown that hurts your defense a little bit. You know, you'd like to see them make those, those stops and, and secure the win for the Texans. But uh, regardless, CJ Stroud said, don't worry about it. I got us. And just what a drive, man. What a drive from Stroud. He is uh, a spectacular player already. And you know, the Bucks. I think this is what their fourth straight loss, fifth straight. Uh, no, this third straight loss maybe um they're 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 losing they're they're kind of floundering here i don't honestly i don't really blame baker mayfield he put them in a position to win and the defense just completely crumbled um but what a win for houston 39 to 37 and they and the texans are four and four uh the Saints, they beat the Bears 24 to 17. The Bears are two and seven. The Saints are five and four. This was kind of ugly. I mean, Tyson Badgett put up 14 points early on the Saints uh, and then only scored three the rest of the way. It's, you know, a touchdown in the first quarter, a touchdown in the second quarter, and then just three in the second, three points in the second half. Um, the Saints scoring a touchdown in three of the four quarters and then a field goal is enough. They don't cover. Painfully, they don't cover multiple chances to cover the nine and a half, and they don't do it. They end up winning by seven. Um, but the Saints are five and four. I think I gotta be honest, I don't really care where the Saints finish in the division if they win it. I, I don't I don't care. Dennis Allen needs to be fired. Dennis Allen is he's a bad coach. 
He's he's a bad coach. Um, and Taysom Taysom Hill needs to be sent to the moon. He he stinks. I don't care. I he, I don't. I hate when he is in the game. I hate it. Um, Vikings Falcons. The Vikings win thirty one to twenty eight. They are five and four, and Atlanta is four and five. Josh Dobbs. So here's the thing with the with the Vikings. They lose Kirk Cousins for the year. Torn Achilles. Jaron Hall comes into the game. He's thrown around. At this point, he's five for six, 78 yards. He's actually playing pretty, pretty well. He goes to run into the end zone and gets absolutely blasted. I think it's by AJ Terrell. It's by some one defensive back on the Falcons. Blasted at the goal line to keep him out of the end zone. Uh, he gets up very slowly, like barely gets to his feet. Immediately leaves the game and it is immediately ruled out with a concussion. So now Josh Dobbs has to come in and play. They were giving Jaron Hall the start this week because they just traded for Josh Dobbs. He doesn't know the playbook. He doesn't know the plays. He's a very, very smart dude. But obviously you don't know the playbook. You don't really know, you know, anyone really. You don't know, you don't know anyone on the team. You don't have any chemistry. You don't you haven't gone through practice. Like you are just brought in like this is your your week to kind of catch up and learn and then you start next week and that's fine. He comes into the game and there's this they said all right this report that Kevin O'Connell is basically drawing up on his hand like what each route is supposed to look like for Josh Dobbs and he is somehow some way able to put together a game 20 for 30, 158 yards and two touchdowns for Josh Dobbs and a W. Just an incredibly gutsy performance by the, the skin of your teeth, able to kind of figure it out, piece together, play after play after play. You're basically basically going out there and running like a schoolyard offense, trying to get your guys open, make throws, uh, et cetera. And it was the most improbable W that the, the Vikings have had. Um, Josh Dobbs and he'll, he'll be the starter, obviously going the rest of the way now, but just a crazy, crazy win, uh, in his first game for the Vikings who are alive. They're alive. The Vikings at five and four after the bad start, after Kirk cousins, leading them back to 500, then he pops his Achilles. You get Josh Dobbs in there three days in a Viking uniform. Maybe he's been, um, it was it was a great, great, great win for them. So now the story of Josh Dobbs continues from uh, from the Arizona Cardinals to the Minnesota Vikings, being able to uh, try and win some games and secure a playoff spot here. And obviously for Josh Dobbs, the plus is that he probably gets Justin Jefferson back soon. Uh, next game, Rams, Packers. What a stinker this was. Uh, I mean, Stafford's out. You get Ripian in there as the quarterback. He can't really do much of anything. There's no run game to speak of. There's no pass game. Uh, this game was an absolute slop fest until the fourth quarter. Um, it was it was 10 to 3, basically, the entire game. And then the, the Packers were able to put up 10 points in the fourth. And this game ended 20 to 3. Uh, not a great win to hang your hat on. Uh, if you're the Packers, to be completely honest with you, it was gross. It was sloppy. You're a bad team that just beat another bad team without their starting quarterback. I I will go as far as to say that if Matt Stafford was in, the Rams probably win this game. 
just given a, a how how well their defense played for for most of the game. But uh, the Packers is three and five. The Rams are three and six. Like not still not very good teams. Um, Jordan Love still struggling. Uh, he did finish twenty of twenty six with two hundred twenty eight yards and a touchdown. So a solid stat line, but like I don't know, just uh, not just not a great a great game for for the Packers. You know, no one no one even scored in this game until the second quarter, where Aaron Jones broke the scoring. He had seven he had seven points, and then I think the the Rams ended up getting a turnover and were able to kick a field goal. Um, it was yeah, it was it was a gross one. It was definitely a gross one. Uh, commanders, Patriots, Sam Howell is the real deal. You had, uh, Jonathan Allen telling reporters that he thinks Sam Howell will be the quarterback in Washington for the next decade. So, uh, this is, this was a perfect game for Washington here where, you know, they're, they're three and five. They've won a few impressive games. They've battled in a lot of games and even their losses, they battled two, two losses against the Eagles battling. They sell off right they trade chase young to the 49ers which the nfl trade deadline went through obviously and they made probably two of the bigger moves um chase young gets shipped off to san francisco and montez sweat gets sent to chicago of all places where the bears then turn around and sign him to a massive contract extension and now you have the commanders who they sell off doesn't really look like they're they're trying to compete anymore. Um, they're three and five, perfect spot here in New England. They win twenty to seventeen. Sam Howell, Sam Howell's good. Uh, he has some tendencies that young quarterbacks have. That you know he's he's got that gunslinger mentality, which is great. Got to reel some things in and and and, and kind of fine tune some things. But the kid can throw the football, which is the most important part. Um, and he he's a tough guy. Like he gets hit and he gets back up. So he's a tough dude with a big arm. Um, he gets the ball to his playmakers, Terry McLaurin specifically. Dotson's been having a great year. So the offense for the commanders has been pretty good. The secondary has been kind of suspect. The pass rush was really good. Now, you know, you traded away your two best pass rushers. So two of your best pass rushers. Chase Young was having a solid year, but you know. I'd put him in bust territory. Obviously, he was the number two overall pick, and he's you know he had a great first year, and then you know has barely played. This is his first healthy season in in damn near three years. So uh, with him, he's been having a good year, but you trade him off for some draft picks for both of them. Uh, pretty, I would say it's a smart move. You know why not Re recruit some losses there? Um, so a big turnover late for. Uh, Mac Jones and the Patriots are two and seven. It's a fight. It's a dog fight for that, for the top of the draft board. Let me tell you between the giants and uh, the Panthers who the bears own their pick, the bears and the Panthers, the bears own both picks and both those teams are really, really bad. The Cardinals are really bad. Uh, the, the Patriots, the giants now just lost Daniel Jones, which we'll get to it. There's a lot of bad teams this year, man. A lot of bad teams. I can't believe it. But yeah, there's like five got five teams fighting for that top spot. I think you have the the Panthers right now have the number one pick. 
And then the Cardinals have would have the number two. I'm not really sure how the tiebreaker works between them because they both have one one win, but and it's both it's an out of division win too. The the Cardinals one win is against the Cowboys, and then the Panthers one wins against the Texans. So the Bears own that pick for the Panthers. So they're gonna have the Bears are gonna have two top five picks. The Giants will have one. The Panthers will have it's a lot of bad teams. A lot of bad teams. Uh, speaking of Colts, Panthers, Kenny Moore has two pick sixes against Bryce Young and the Panthers. Bryce Young, after having a solid game against the Texans and finally getting a win on the board, deceived me. I took, I went on a, I went on a limb. I got risky. I went Panthers money line at home off a win. I'm like, hey, maybe the kids finally starting to develop something. No, two pick sixes. One was really two. Both of them were really bad. I mean, one is a late throw to the outside. Kenny Moore jumps it and takes it back for a touchdown. And then the other one is a screen to Miles Sanders. Pressure is kind of getting to him. He throws off his back foot, sidearm. The ball sails over Sanders' head and right into the arms of Kenny Moore, who then again takes it back for a touchdown. So a huge game for Kenny Moore and this Indianapolis defense, which if you look at the final score... 27 to 13, 14 of those points came from the defense. It was a winnable game that Bryce Young lost this game for the Panthers, unfortunately. Um, And you could see the frustration after his second pick six. He he was just like, he screamed at himself. Like he was, he was pissed. I feel bad for the kid. I really do. Um, He needs to put in some work. Um, He's making bad, make the misses are, are unacceptable, you know, like, sailing the ball over your running back's head on a screen into the defender's arm. Like that's an unacceptable throw, throwing it late to the outside for your, for the defensive back to just make an easy jump and, and, and read and, and catch the ball for an interception is unacceptable. They're un, the, the picks were really bad. They're really, really, really bad. The giants, they lose 30 to six to the Raiders. Um, the Raiders firing their GM and head coach, Josh McDaniels. So now they have two head coaches on the books, Mark Davis, that he has to pay. He has no money. He has no money. I don't know how they're supposed to sign a head coach in the offseason. Linebackers coach and New York Giants legend Antonio Pierce is now the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, the interim head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Playing against the first game at home in Vegas against his old team. And they put up the most points that they put up all year with rookie Aiden O'Connell because Jimmy G got benched. So it's just an absolute dumpster fire over there in Las Vegas. But some, not somehow, some way, the Giants stink. And after several weeks of the defense being really good, they get rid of Leonard Williams for a second and a fifth round pick, which is just like excellent value. Uh, I hate to see Leo go. He was a great Giant. He was a good Giants player. Good pass rusher. I think his contract was worth it. I I would not go as far as like I'm not going to say he's a waste of money. He was very talented and very good for us. Um, the locker room loved him. The fans loved him. Like he was a good player. Expiring contract, probably not coming back. Uh, Joe Shane apparently asked him. They were like, "Hey, like we weren't actively dealing you, but Seattle called and offered us a second and a fifth. So if you want, do you want to go to Seattle? Like." And he said yes, because why wouldn't he? Like, why would he want to stay in New York? We stink. And we have no, the rest of the season's washed. 
He's not getting any younger. Seattle's a pretty good team. He's on an expiring contract. He can sign wherever he wants after the year. So he gets goes to Seattle. Um, so we lose him. He's a defensive leader, very good player. Lose him. The defense just not as good. Um, Aiden O'Connell looked fine. I mean, 15, 16 to 25, 209 yards. They didn't ask him to do much. Josh Jacobs was the guy this game. 26 carries, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. Um, quiet game for Devontae Adams, all things considered. Four catches, 34 yards. But Antonio Pierce said, "This is my, my, the, the mentality of the Raiders going forward is like, who did those great Cowboys teams have? Like, all great teams, who are you worried about? You're worried about Michael Irvin and Emmitt Smith, the, the best wide receiver and the best running back. That's who you're worried about. He's like, that's what I want our mentality to be. Adams and Jacobs. And he, I mean, Adams didn't really do much this game. I think mostly because of Aiden O'Connell, but like Josh Jacobs, almost a hundred yards and two touchdowns. Like Josh Jacobs was running wild on the Giants. Uh, it, it It's bad, man. It's bad. The Giants, Daniel Jones, he gets injured on a play, goes back out there. And immediately the next play, he drops back to pass and falls down. Can't get up, goes to a knee. Um, and it, me and my friends were talking like it was almost picture for picture what happened to RG3, where he's playing on a bad knee and he drops back and then his knee just falls apart on the drop back. Untouched, just collapses to the ground. It's exactly what happened to Daniel Jones. He leaves for the remainder of the game. Tommy DeVito comes back in and here we are. Uh, Daniel Jones has a torn ACL officially. Very, very, I mean, I feel bad for the kid. He was playing really poorly this year. Then he gets the neck injury, misses a handful of weeks. Then he comes back and first quarter tears his ACL. Um, just unlucky. And we're in a, a terrible spot. Uh, I, I, I feel bad for Saquon. We should have traded Saquon. Like, I get it. He's, he's from the tri-state area. Like, he loves the Giants. He wants to be a Giant, and I respect the hell out of him for it. I really, really do. I love that he wants to be a Giant, and I love Saquon Barkley. I love having him on my team. But goddamn, kid, like you're going to waste your career here. So even if the Giants try and resign him for whatever reason this this offseason, like I, I don't know why he would take it. Like go to a team that can at least you can – Try and make the playoffs and, and win some games and even maybe go to the Super Bowl if you're lucky. Go. Be free, Saquon. Be free. You don't have to stay here, man. You don't have to stay here. You're just going to waste away your career. You're going to waste it. Because he's so good. He's so good. Even like against the Raiders, you saw like he he had a couple of great runs. He's just, he's very, very, very good at football, man. And I, I want him to succeed. I want to see him be free. And the Giants are just an absolute dumpster fire. Bottom three team in the league um, in terms of like production. Like they, they stink. They stink. Darren Waller's on the IR. Daniel Jones is out for the year. We traded away Le uh, Leonard Williams. We... What, what, what do we have? We have no wide receivers to speak of. Like, I, what do we have? What do we have? We have nothing. Now we officially have nothing. Now it's it's literally like Daniel Jones is out for the rest of the year. Now we legitimately only have Saquon Barkley, which is like 
We should have traded him for draft picks. Set him free. There's just nothing we can do. It's 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 a it's a train wreck. It's a dumpster fire. It is really, really tough. Um, and it, it's it's tough sledding right now, man. And generally speaking, you want a top three or four pick. If we get the first pick, we're taking Caleb Williams, and that's fine. Maybe we can trade Daniel Jones somewhere. I don't know. Trade him to the Vikings. They need a quarterback. Maybe I don't. Even, which at this point, I don't even know if Daniel Jones is as good as Josh Dobbs. Uh, my Daniel Jones is good. Take my my the train that I've been on. It's coming off the rails. Uh, but what like what else do you do? Like you're either taking one of the three of Caleb Williams, Drake May, Marvin Harrison Jr. Like ideally, one of those guys is in a New York Giants uniform next year. I don't know, man. I I I don't I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna go. It's gonna be tough. Um I I just it it's it's painful to I mean, I know a lot of fans feel this way, obviously, and they've dealt with this firsthand, but it obviously it's 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 nice knowing that with every loss your draft pick gets better, but at the same time, like the Giants have just been getting embarrassed. Like they get embarrassed week after week after week on national television or on, on, on television. And I, I don't know, man, it's, it's not good. Um, ride with Tommy DeVito the rest of the way. Screw it. Like why, why not just let the kid go out there and, and throw the football? I, it, it, it's, it's hard. I, I, I understand as a player, like how hard it must be like, obviously not firsthand, but like you have to take that into consideration. Like these guys, go out there and to like lose the way they've been losing this year and to be where they're at right now. Like it's demoralizing, dude. Why would you even want to go out there and play football? Like put your body on the line for what? For what? Like, how do you, how do you even get the motivation to go out there and play football? Like, I, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, Xavier McKinney said the leaders of this team are not really being heard, which is that's great. That's not a great sign. Obviously, <laughs> it's it's a mess, dude. It's a mess. Very very sad to see how 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 this has gone, uh, for for my team. But uh, the other two NFC East teams that played each other this week, the Cowboys and the Eagles. The Eagles barely hold off the Cowboys. Two crucial. You talk about game of inches. This is the definition. This game was the definition of it. Um, a touchdown pass from Dak to Jake Ferguson is called back because his knee was down as he he was basically on the goal line, but his knee was down before the ball crossed it as he caught it. So that was a touchdown that was overturned. And then Dak Prescott on a two-point conversion. That it was 28 to 23. This would have made it 28 to 25. As he dives to the pile on, he takes one extra step. If he had just taken one less, that one less step and dove for the pile on, it would have been good. But he takes one extra step with his right foot before reaching for the pile on instead of diving for it. And his toe, the top of his cleat is very clearly out of bounds. The two point conversion gets taken away. And instead, now at the end of the game, Instead of it being 28 to 25, where you can kick a field goal to tie, it's in an overtime. Now you have to score a touchdown, and that comes back to bite the Cowboys in the ass. They're driving. They, Dak makes a couple big throws to CD and to, uh, I think it was Tolbert. 
They get a cut. They get a a pass a big pass, a thirty yard pass interference call. They get a roughing the passer call, which Hassan Reddick like he hits Dak Prescott, but he doesn't ha- tackle him. He kind of just pushes him to the ground. But it was late, so it's a roughing the passer. I, you can't be doing that, Hassan Reddick. So they get a roughing the passer uh, for fifteen yards. They get a like a thirty yard pass interference, couple completions. Now they're knocking at the door. They get a false. I think it's a false start. Dak gets sacked twice. Now you're at the 30-yard line. It's like fourth and goal from the 30. Uh, They almost ran a great route. CD does an in route at like the one-yard line. He catches it, gets gang tackled, and uh, ends up fumbling the ball at Eagles recover. But the time expires anyway. So um, game's over on that play. But I can only help but imagine if CD caught that ball where he did and there was like Tolbert or Turpin in the game, streaking, or even Brandon Cooks is still fast. So just streaking along backwards, CD could have lateraled it to him, little hook and ladder play, and maybe you can get to the edge of the end zone, jump on the pylon. But um, I guess, you know, you don't really want to draw that up. But if you're not going to throw the ball in the end zone, then try and come up with something, you know? Uh, it was a great game to watch, nonetheless. A very competitive game. The over hit. So there's my bet. I lost. So I lost the Panthers. I lost the Seahawks, but I won the Texans and the over in this game. Um, and I lost my Sunday night parlay. We'll see how I do on my Monday night parlay. But the Sunday night game, the Bengals are back 100% fully back. Joe Burrow looks great. T carved up the Bills defense. Um, and the Bills are struggling. That offense does not look as fine-tuned as it used to. The defense is very banged up. I mean, that's just, that's not really their fault. Milano's out. Um, Tredavious White's out for the year. Like, they're losing, they're missing a lot of key pieces on that defense. Uh, but Joe Burrow was the story. I mean, he looks great. T. Higgins had a great game. Um, yeah, Burrow's slinging it. He looks mobile. He looks quick. Avoiding rushers, um, moving the pocket, dime after dime after dime. Burrow looks great. And this Cincinnati defense, for the last month, the Giants, the Jets, and the Bengals have had the three best defenses in football. Um, And the Bengals, they continue to ride hot. That defense is on fire right now. Um, They've been playing great football, limiting these offenses, keeping their team in it. And now the Bengals are within striking distance. They are in prime position to make a run. Um, it's going to be a little bit tough to catch the the Ravens right now. We'll see how those matchups go because uh, they have yet to play the Ravens. So we'll see how they go. And um, obviously, depending on it, the, the Bengals will have a chance to win this division. But they look great. Burrow looks 100% um, healthy now, which is huge uh and he looked 100 healthy against the cardinals but that, that was like we're still not sure if he is then he lit up the niners and everyone's like all right the Bengals are back then he lit up the bills and i was like okay now the Bengals are really back now they're, now they're really really back back-to-back weeks niner victories against the niners and bills is something that is going to propel them forward man and they they are they're hot they are hot um and it's pretty funny because basically for Burrow's entire career, he's gotten off to a slow start and the team has gotten off to a slow start. And then all of a sudden, like they win, you know, eight, nine, 10 games in a row. And it's, 
they end the season like 11 and five and then 11 and six or whatever, 12 and five, whatever it is. Um, they get double digit wins. <laughs> it's just the way it's been going for the Bengals. So I'm excited to see them to continue to play football. Uh, that was a great win for them last night. Uh, so that'll do it for NFL week nine. A little bit of baseball news here. The Mets are hiring Carlos Mendoza, the Yankees bench coach to be their next uh, manager. They were tied to Craig council. I don't know if he's made a decision yet, um, but seems like they're going, I mean, I don't know if this is their second uh, decision or anything like that. I have no idea, but like Carlos Mendoza bench coach for the Yankees been around for a while. He is going to be the next manager of the New York Mets. So they've made their decision. Um, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Mendoza gets to stay in New York, I guess. So that's that's good for him. <laughs> uh, so there you go. That's that's a pretty big decision um, for the Mets. And we'll see how they how they approach the rest of the offseason. It's going to be it's going to be a big one. It's going to be an important one. Um and obviously those those winter meeting meetings always uh shake up a lot of things. Um especially with the free agency class, you know, Otani, where is he going to sign? Oh my god, it's going to be that's going to be something. When Otani signs, that is going to be something. Let me tell you. Uh, once again, Monday Night Football, Jets, Chargers. I'm taking the Jets. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I don't, I'm not like super confident in it, but I put Jets money line in my parlay along with, um, you know, Brees Hall receiving and Austin Eckler under rushing because I'm a hater. <laughs> uh, Killers of the Flower Moon to wrap up the podcast. This movie was awesome. Uh, it's long. It's three and a half hours. You don't really feel it. Uh, it. It keeps you engaged. The story is compelling. It's a story about um, the Osage Indians, Native American tribe, getting murdered on their homeland because they have a bunch of oil. So they they tell, I think this takes place in the 30s. Uh, and they find oil. They are the at that point in time they are the richest people per capita it is the richest area per capita um the osage indians and they are slowly getting murdered for their oil money by uh white people interloping white people and you see it throughout the movie where it's a trend of like these osage women marrying white men mostly and they these white men they keep getting greedier and greedier and there's the plot to kill multiple women and and people in this family to then have the oil eventually be passed down solely to the white man um it's obviously a terrible story it's very it's dark but there are nice moments in it it's mysterious it's compelling the dialogue is great um it's it's a great watch man leo was fantastic. De Niro was incredible. And I, I wrote about it for Animal House that like De Niro, him being in that movie, that that performance that he gave almost makes you forget about some of the really terrible movies he's done, like in the past 10 years, like the stupid comedy movies or whatever that he's done. Um, it makes you forget about that and, and kind of reminds you that, hey, dead or alive, he's probably one of the best actors ever. You know, he he's sensational. 
Um, Jesse Plemons has a small role as a FBI agent. The early, the early the uh, stages of the FBI, they're not even called the FBI yet. They're just called the Bureau of Investigation with the federal government. Jesse Plemons is great. And he's one of those guys where it's like when he's on the screen, he dominates it, man. He he doesn't, you know, a lot of people might not know him for, for many big roles. He's never really the leading man per se, but he always plays great, compelling characters. Him and Sam Rockwell, in my opinion, are kind of in that class where it's they're in their roles and they're just really, really good at it. Like they are character actors, man. They are very, very good at their jobs. And and you just you can't take your eyes off them when they're on the screen. Uh Lily Gladstone plays uh, Molly Burkhart, the Osage woman that uh, Leo's character marries. She's great. Uh, a really, really good job from her as well. I don't know if this was like her acting debut. I've personally never seen her in anything, but she was very good in this movie. Um, Scorsese makes a cameo at the end. It's an interesting way how they end uh, they end up wrapping up the movie. Um, but it is it is such a fantastic film. Scorsese still he still got his fastball. Uh, the dude just knows how to make movies, man. They are just compelling, great plot, characters, dialogue, cinematography, everything, every single time. Um, he's the goat. He is he's the goat, man. I, I love him in all his movies. Um, him and De Niro, man, 50 years, 10 movies, pretty insane. I think him and Leo at this point are going on like 20 years and like eight movies or seven movies. So Leo is, he's catching up, man. Leo's catching up. Um, when this movie was coming out, I saw clips of TikTok where it's just like, Oh, I'd like he uh, Scorsese's talking to De Niro and Leo's like, I'd like to talk to my director for a second. And De Niro's like, you're your director, your director. Oh, OK. I, I, I've done 10 films with him. And he's like, D and D Leo's like, I've, I've done six. I've done six. Oh, yeah. So it's my director, my director. He's like, oh, yeah. De Niro's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's 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 cute. That's cute. Um, And they just have like a, a back and forth, forth, <laughs> like beef and over over Scorsese. So the funny little clip. Um. But uh, yeah, it's just a tremendous movie. Great acting all the way around. Highly recommend. I would give it a eight and a half out of 10 only because I feel like the last like 25 minutes or so kind of drags a little bit in terms of wrapping it up. But um, it's good. It's really good. Maybe even a nine. Bump it up to a nine out of 10. You get a point off because it drags off. But other than that, it's fantastic. Um, All right. So I'll do it for this episode. From my point of view, thank you all very much for listening. I appreciate you as always. Have a great rest of your week. I'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Good girl.